Hey, good morning. I want to back up what Rod said. College students, welcome back. We're glad to have you. We miss you. It's good to see you. I haven't had a chance to say I know Abby's back. Our house is loud and noisy again. It's good. Yeah, so it's a lot. We had fun last night. It, we were playing a game, and it was going 90 miles an hour. Matt said, I don't want to play anymore. And uh, then he was the most competitive one in the game, right? So it, it was a lot of fun. So that was fantastic. Yeah, we just want to invite you back next Sunday, and then for Christmas Eve, please come and join us. And By the way, the event over at uh, North Creek, the, that's Carolyn Lucas, in case any of you were wondering who's throwing that and putting that on. Uh, Carolyn was longtime leader, choir leader at North Shore. They got a brass quartet and stuff. And so if you want something special for the holidays, please go there. Um, We will not be there simply because it's the staff Christmas party tonight, right? So this is one of these weekends where everything piles up, right? And there's 40 things to go to and you got to pick three of them. That's how that works. All right. Last week we uh, were in our series, Majesty to Manger. And last week we talked about the fact that Uh, the beginning wasn't actually this moment that we call Christmas, that Jesus' um, life didn't begin with his birth here on earth, which sounds rather counterintuitive, um, but that he was the preexistent one, that all of God was compressed down into a size this big, right? A baby. Several of you mentioned last week that it really could be compressed even smaller than that, a cell. Think of that, the universe compressed into a cell. The, literally the DNA of God. It's, it's pretty incredible. Psalm 40 says this about God, and, and this is really good. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. King David here is talking about how unbelievable and amazing are the thoughts of God towards us. I don't know if you think that way. Um, I like that phrase a lot, towards us. right? When God's thinking, He's thinking towards us. And when you think about that, that's relational. He is thinking uh, for you and for me. Have you ever just stopped and kind of pondered that, kind of thought of His thoughts that are towards you? that he's for you, it just really changes things when you think of it that way. And what this is saying is that they are so amazing that the half of it can't even be told. There are all kinds of mysteries uh, about God. God has not played all his cards yet. Have you noticed that? Right? There's a lot we don't know. Any of you got questions when you get to heaven you want to ask? Right? Right? So there are stunning things yet to be revealed, even more so than the things that have already been revealed. And surely one of the stories that we don't know all the pieces to is the story of how God came up with the plan to rescue us. We know he came up with a plan, right? But we don't have all the pieces to that, all the back thinking, right? The uh, committee groups that went into that. We love committees, don't we? Christmas is actually, if you think about it, the greatest rescue mission in the history of the world. And I might add, the most unlikely one. What's astounding about the whole thing is that it was formulated and put in place before the problem had even occurred. If you read scripture, you know that. Right? God had anticipated the possibility of sin. 
He had anticipated what happens if it doesn't go the way I want. What happens if it goes wrong, goes sideways? And it has more than gone sideways. And God knew that we would need to be rescued. And He knew that there would need to be a rescuer. The name Jesus means the one who would save His people from their sin. And it spells out the mission in His very name. The Apostle Peter gives us a hint in this first epistle when he, when he says this about Jesus. He says, And He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Again, Jesus existed as God long before the world was. But at Christmas, as a baby, He was made manifest. Right? Now, what does it mean to be made manifest? That's not really a word we use. It's an older English word. Manifest simply means to be shown plainly, to be revealed. What did it take for this manifestation to happen? Surely something would, that would not, we would not have expected, something so counterintuitive to how we operate that it's almost unthinkable. And this is what it was. He stepped down from his role in the Godhead to assume another role. In Philippians, we saw this last week, and now we come back to it. It says, Have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He was stripped, so to speak, of his sovereign position. He laid aside his attributes. The way we would say it, uh, if you're in the uh, corporate world today, is he gave up his perks, right? His benefits, his stock options, so to speak. He voluntarily stepped down. This passage here says that the way it explains is he emptied himself. All right? Now I guarantee you we don't even know fully even half of what that means. We will find out one day. But what I want to suggest to you, what you're reading right here, when you look at this, this is the best that human language can capture it. It's the closest that you can come to it uh, in trying to explain this miraculous side of the event of Jesus being born. This emptying of himself, we will one day fully understand. But it's the best that human language can convey. And so the question has to be why. Right? Why? Why step down? Why yield? Well, first of all, he was doing something that's incredibly important. He was modeling submission. I don't know if you've ever thought about authority and power and how that works, but uh, very seldom do presidents of companies step down, even if their subordinates suggest that they do so. All right? It's, it's just not what happens, right? You usually have some kind of battle ensuing and going on and that kind of stuff. And here Jesus voluntarily steps down from his position 
because his father asked him to. And he's modeling something for us. As Jesus has submitted to the Father, so we should submit to the Father. Secondly, someone had to go in. They needed, Walt, you'll like this, as the military would say, eyes on the ground. Right? To communicate with man, God would have to become a man. And that was the plan. God on our turf. God playing by our rules. That had to be fun, huh? God operating with our limitations. And here's the truly astounding thing. When he came, it wasn't to take over. Wouldn't you have thought that's what it would be? Right? To take over, to come in, power play, and sneak in, and then wipe everybody out and get it done the way you want it done. That's usually how we think of it. That's a military-style operation. That's not what happened. It wasn't to take over. It was to reconcile to break down the wall of hostility, both towards God and towards each other. Colossians gives us a picture of this. It says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In other words, he was full of God. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus' ministry, his goal was to end the hostility that exists. And you say, what hostility? Well, the anger that exists in mind and your heart that we try so carefully not to let other people know is there. That's what we're talking about. If something needs to be reconciled, it means that something's broken. So it was, what was so significantly broken that it raised the necessity of such an incredible rescue mission? The Apostle Paul gives us insight to this in the book of Romans. If you take a look at Romans, Paul says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. This is the doctrine of original sin. And it takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The original Adam, the first man, became the entrance point for sin to enter into the world and thus death. And the Bible teaches that death has spread to all men, that all are contaminated with or stained with this condition. Thus shame, and guilt, hostility, fallenness, all those lovely things we experience, affects us all. Because of this, Paul says there was a need then for a second Adam. One who could counter and counteract not just the symptoms but also the virus and the root of what that sin had done to us. How do we become aware of sin? How does, how does sin uh, made aware to us? The Bible says that God helped clarify it by bringing the law. The law highlights or uh, focuses sin for us. Just like uh, right now, if you drive through neighborhoods, there's Christmas lights out, right? It highlights or focuses something. Thus, the law does the same thing for sin. Again, in Romans, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. And yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. That's the period before the law was given. Even over those who were sinning, not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So Adam's an interesting cat in the fact that he is the first one to sin, but he's also a prototype 
a forerunner, if you will, foreshadower, if you will, of Jesus, of the Messiah. Paul's pointing out that the, what the law did was make sin apparent. Gee, I'm not really sure what sin is. Well, here. Oh, that's what it is. Oh, right? You ever read the word and go, oh, man. That, that feeling? Yeah, that. Okay. Even with this great and deadly problem, there is the promise, the incredible promise from God way back in the beginning. We don't have time to go there this morning. But there was this promise of another Adam. One who would undo what sin had done in and through the first Adam. And here's the great news of Scripture. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Simply this. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus is an incredibly power anti-venom, if you will, for sin. He is the means and the way and the person through which God counteracts the effects of sin in our life. So two key ideas out of this. Because of Adam and Eve's trespass, death has reigned in all ages, in all humans since that time. And if you go to a funeral, I'm sure many of you have been, some of you probably haven't yet. I've been to lots of them. But one of the things you come away with, this is not the way things are supposed to be. Particularly poignant are the death of uh, young adults or children, where you just go, no, no, something's really wrong with this. Okay? The Bible's not just here, note though, it's not just here talking about physical death, although that's significant. It's talking about spiritual death, that our spirit, our hearts can die, that we become separated from God relationally. The second point is through this other Adam, the second Adam, we know him as Jesus. We can, as it's stated, reign in life. That even though we experience the effects and the fallout of death in this present realm, we can experience life through him. The curse is and can be reversed because of Jesus, the Messiah. He is God's plan that has come. What are the conditions for us to reign in life? Well, we must be willing, first of all, to receive this thing called abundant grace that you see in the verse up here. This grace that God is offering through Jesus, it's not offered through anybody else. It's offered through Jesus. It's not offered through our efforts or being religious or any of those kind of things. It's offered relationally through the person of Jesus. God says he offers us abundant grace, which is really good news. And that we must receive this up here, it's also called the gift of righteousness. And what this means simply is, we're no longer trying to get into heaven by our efforts. Have you ever tried that? That's a hard thing to do. Good, 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 bad. Oh, good, 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 bad. Oh, bad, 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 go. Right? Any of you ever been on that step ladder? Right? We can't get in. We're, we're done trying to get in by our own efforts. Uh, We aren't trying to earn God's love. Can't do that either. We're made righteous through Jesus and His efforts. It's His grace and His free gift of righteousness that has saved and that saves us. 
And that's why Christians celebrate around the world his coming because there's never been anybody else like him who's offered that gift. It's highly likely that you're going to receive in a week some presents, right? And probably receive them with great appreciation because you'll know who they came from, right? People that are close to you, people you love. And if you think about gifts given that way, uh, it's you'll appreciate not just the gift, but really what you're going to appreciate is the giver. Right? Especially if you're parents. Especially if you got little kids. Right? If you got little kids and they come up and hand you something and it's wrapped and the bow is crooked and it's taped four different ways, right? But you know it's from them. You'll keep that for 30 years in your file, right? Because what does it stand for? It stands for the heart behind it. It will have value because of the thoughts and efforts that went into the getting of the gift for you. You know that they thought of you, right? And that's what becomes special. Long after the gift is given, and you might even forget what the actual gift was, the sentiment of thought and love that went into giving that gift will long be remembered. Uh, When going through a box of uh, notes and things that we had given over the years to my mom and mom had given. Of course, my mom just passed, right? So they become incredibly more poignant. And I was in the garage alone. Every I'm just going through that going, wow. Just remembering. Incredible stuff. And the question this morning is this. Have you opened this gift from God? Have you accepted the gift from God that he's offering? Very simple. Lord Jesus I recognize this. I know it rings true. I want to receive your abundant grace. I want the gift of righteousness from you that you're offering. I no longer want to try and impress you with my own merits or credentials because I know they're stained by my sin and therefore I'm disqualified. I want to get on your plan of eternal life that you offer. What a better time to do it than Christmas. Come into my life and wash away my sin and replace it with your righteousness. I submit to your authority and your leadership. And your question this morning be, well, is, is, is the timing really right to do that? Bible indicates that God's timing on this was perfect. And ask the uh, worship team to come up. We're going to do something special this morning. So worship gang, come on up. But in Galatians it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. There are, if you think about it, in a sense, two fullness of times. The first is God's original plan for the timing of the coming of His Son. We call it Christmas. God's perfectly timed rescue mission. The second fullness of time is when His Son comes to you. More personal. If we surrender to His grace and righteousness, then we receive what the Bible calls a spirit of adoption. God sends His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, into our hearts. We stop fighting Him and we start calling Him Dad. 
Abba means daddy. Did you know that? I'm sure you did. That's a very affectionate term. It's a very personal term, right? Other term, papa, right? But there's terms that only children use that are very appropriate and very dear to the parent, right? Hey, dad, right? We become sons, literally children of God. You know, many times when you're giving these truths, it's a head thing. And, uh, and so it, it connects on a certain level. But a lot of times, there's different ways to do this that it can connect on a more meaningful way. And many times a song can convey truth uh, in a way that mere words can't. You ever been there, right? Like this morning when we did that shift from the worship to Christmas and back. Wow, that just took me somewhere. I was thrilled. said, let's just go home after that. That was so good. Thank you, Esther. But we'd like to do that this morning. This song is meant to bless you. It's, we're going to sing it over you. Just stay where you are seated and uh, listen to this and, and connect with the Lord. It's meant to bless you. And uh, Esther will give us instructions after it's done.